No. What's this? This is a folder. Oh yeah, no, no, never mind. Not that. Where is the stuff that used to be there? Oh, they're divided different places. Come, I don't know, I hope. My dad and I are going through old stuff in his closets. He still lives in the house I grew up in, and my brother and I have been appallingly bad at helping him go through stuff. He's been left to organize everything my mom left, basically on his own. What are you looking for exactly? No, it's from elementary school. Do you have another place? I specifically came looking for an old project of mine. I know that it used to be in a pile of my childhood artwork that was in my mom's closet for years. It's old makeup. You can throw that out. Do you need me to throw this out? Well, uh, you see, I didn't throw them away. You want to have some? My dad keeps telling me that he hasn't thrown out anything valuable, but I'm starting to understand that he means he hasn't thrown out anything manufactured. Pieces of Velcro. Shoelaces. Okay. Well, it's not in here. The art I made as a kid, that stuff he didn't save. Floppy disks. Fax modem. This is like a museum of technology. Hi, this is First Day Back. This is usually a serialized podcast about me getting back to my career as a documentary filmmaker after the longest maternity leave ever. But this episode is a little different. It all started when I was being interviewed about the podcast. Somebody asked me, have you always been documenting things? And it made me think, have I? And I realized, yes. So this thing that I'm drawn to, making documentaries with the films and now the podcast, it's been with me for a long time. You see, when I was in grade six, I made a magazine at school. Not like a class yearbook, an actual school magazine that I edited myself. I called it Canadiana, which is mortifying. In it, I chronicled things that were going on in the school. I think I did things like interview some of the staff. I was my own Tina Brown, and it was my first documentary. And I remember that I made it at the suggestion of a teacher. And she wasn't just any teacher. She was the coolest teacher on the planet. Her name was Sally Mackey, and I'll tell you about her in a minute. But first, some context. I grew up in a pretty conservative suburb of Montreal. It was the kind of 70s development with four models of houses that alternated. As a kid, when you went into your friend's house, pretty much the layout was either the same as yours or another friend's. For the record, I loved it there. But in general, things could be pretty samey. I went to a Jewish school two blocks from my house. It was run by two rabbis and a non-Jewish principal who I think was responsible for bringing in this teacher, Sally Mackey. She was this gorgeous artsy woman who did a form of enrichment programming that was trendy back then. She wore her dark hair in a tight bun and she wore long glamorous dresses and swooped around the school. She would pull us out of class and do projects with us in little groups. I remember her as somebody completely different from anyone else in my life back then. It's like school was regular school the way you imagine it, 
And then for classes with Sally, we ate those Alice in Wonderland cookies and went off to some place where we did stuff that made no sense in the other world. She had us make poetry out of items in the grocery circular. She had us dress like famous psychologists we researched. She had objects on the wall that were like sculptures, not just impressionist prints like my parents had. I remember at one point, when there wasn't enough space in the building, they moved Sally's office to a janitor closet near the boys' bathroom. She said we were going to do a study on toilet flushes. Imagine how radical that seemed to a bunch of 11-year-olds. I thought she was nuts, and I wanted to be like her. She was unconventional and creative, and just clearly marched to the beat of her own music. So what did she see in me? Why did she push me into documentary? Documentary work has become such a big thing in my life. Is this where the spark came from? I wish I could ask Sally. I haven't seen her in over 30 years. I don't know if she's still in Montreal. In fact, I don't even know if she's alive. I'm pretty sure she had a massive impact on everyone she taught. I asked my old friend from elementary school what he remembered of her. I remember that she existed, and I remember very much that she was Australian. That's Craig Kaplan, who I grew up with. Craig was a math genius and is a computer scientist and professor at the University of Waterloo now. What, seriously? You don't remember her? I have to tell you, I, in preparation last week, I emailed my mother. And I said, what do you remember about Sally Mackey? And her response was even worse than mine, right? She didn't even remember that Sally existed, whereas at least the name is definitely stuck there in my memory. And I, I remember having fun uh, in her sessions. Obviously, that conversation didn't answer any questions. So I decided I needed to try to find Sally. I called other old friends, old teachers. Good morning, Hebrew Foundation School. Gloria speaking. My old elementary school. Oh my goodness. Sally Mackey, I do not have any idea. And nobody knew anything about her. Hi, um, is this the house of John Denora? I thought maybe that old principal, John Denora, might still be in touch with her. Would you like his phone number? I tracked him down. Hello? Hello, may I please speak with John? Speaking. Hi, um, this is, this is really, uh, you're not going to remember me possibly. My name is Tally Abacassis and, um... Yeah, I do remember you. <laughs> has somebody told you that I'm looking for you? No, but I remember your, I remember your name, grade six. I've been thinking about you and Sally Mackey as... Sally Mackey, she's big... back in Australia. Uh, well, actually, do you know how to reach her? No, I don't have any communication with her. No. So now I knew she was in Australia, but I still couldn't find her online. I enlisted the help of a teacher from my old school, Renana Shemtub, who pretty quickly called me with news. Are you going to ask me something? Or I'm just no, gonna... no. Okay. Okay, so I contacted Rabbi Lantin via Facebook because he lives in Jerusalem. I sent it last night, and then I went to bed, and I woke up this morning, I had three messages from him. So he, of course, remembers her, located her. She remembers you. No way. Yeah, way. She moved back to Australia about 20 years ago, so she's living there. And yeah, that's my news. That's my news. <laughs> that's amazing, see? 
Yeah. Oh, that's the perfect. The world is a very small place, so <laughs> I've learned that. Yeah. Um, and Rabbi Lantin would be happy to talk to you if you'd like, and you can contact him on Facebook and get from there. So. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I got Sally's email from Renana's rabbi friend, and we sent a few brief emails back and forth, but she was really hard to pin down. Then, just when I thought it wasn't going to happen, one day my Skype rang when I was completely unprepared. I was in the hallway, and my Skype camera unfortunately had my kids in the bathroom in the background. Hello? Hello, Tally. How are you? It's Sally. I know. Hello. I'm trying to... Hang on. (laughs) Where are you? There I am. Oh, there you are. <laughs> How are you, sweetheart? Oh, my gosh. Got the boys there? Oh, do you want to see Adam of peeing? Hang on. Hang on. Oh, Adam, how are you? Adam, where are you? It's one of Mummy's old teachers, so you better run away and hide under the bed. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I know, he's in the bathroom. He's not. <laughs> how are you? I'm very well. I've just got up. It's 6 a.m. in the morning. I've got my hand crochet dressing gown on. Oh, very nice. And I just put the cat outside. Oh, my God. Do you actually have a mohawk? Have what? You have a mohawk. No, it's called the Tin Tin Cut. It looks fantastic. So, my darling, I'm still teaching. We had a conversation about where our lives are at now, and I wanted to know more about who she was back then. Like, now that I'm an adult, I kind of, because I remember you had the daughters in Montreal, so then you were... I raised them on my own, the three of them. I divorced my husband when they were eight. They were 11 and a half and 12. So I raised them on my own. So my job at Hebrew Foundation helped me raise those girls. Huh. Because I took home all the old kosher donuts, right? And the staff supplied me with things for my children. And when my daughters graduated, someone uh, who was in the Shmata trade, of course, took me down and let me choose a dress for my oldest girl. So these are all the things you didn't know. And did you ever, I get, you were divorced when your kids were a bit older, but did you ever have debate within yourself whether you should go back to teaching or whether you should stay home with your kids and be a stay-at-home mom or did you? No, no. From the time I was married, well, I married a student. And I was teaching then, I was 23 or 24, and I put him through his PhD, right? I was the breadwinner. It took him about three years. But in hindsight, Tally, I'm the one who should have been doing the PhD. But back in those days, that's what women did. Sally didn't remember my magazine specifically, and she didn't remember if she thought I was some innate documentarian. She said it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the individual projects. It was about setting a tone. School at that time was open, really. Uh, it was open to everything, which was great. Whatever I suggested, um, I was never turned down. I was allowed to try everything with you kids. I could work within a really orthodox system, but I worked against it from within, like the Jesuits always did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I did my own thing, which is to just to provide an atmosphere for kids to be creative. So it doesn't matter whether you've got an IQ of 170, 190. If you've got the atmosphere for creativity and you're encouraged, you'll do it. It wasn't being taught how to be creative. It was just being given the opportunity to think you could. You know what I mean? 
I think she must have influenced a lot of other people to try new things. Do you remember Rabbi Stiefel? Oh, was he the guy who used to chew on his beard? Yes, he was very young when you were at the school. Rabbi Benjamin Stiefel was about 35 years old and he had about eight children, right? He was Orthodox and he wrote Torah. And he and I had a very special friendship, right? Now, I used to draw. I did portraits. Now, I did Rabbi Stiefel's portrait. We sat in a room, he and I, for about two weeks at lunchtime. We shut the door. He was alone with me. It, I think it caused, I think, I think the rabbis nearly collapsed. To sit with a non-Jewish woman for weeks on end who's doing his portrait, you know, da-da-da, sit. You know, he broke every rule in the book because there was something in him that was creative and beautiful and I recorded him. You know, because I think every now and then you meet someone who is like a soulmate in a little way and you share something. I think of him. He's one of the people I carry with me. I didn't have the guts to jump into her train of thought and say that she was that person to me. I was just a child back then, after all. Now, I've thrown a lot of stuff at you, but basically, I think you're the little girl that you are because of your parents and because you had a window where you were encouraged to think outside the square. Pink paper, Canadiana, issue one. Huh, it has a picture, a drawn picture of Canada on the cover. It's funny, I wasn't sure if it was a flag or if it was the first page is a Shel Silverstein poem. Invitation. If you're a dreamer, come in. If you're a dreamer, a what does that say? A wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire. For we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Page two. Now oh, the binding is completely undone on this thing. Cute dog competition. Send in your photos of your cutest dog. Experienced judges will award First, second, and third prize? Wow. We're starting an advice column, says Dear Shirley, with a picture of a letter. Send us your problems or questions. Put in the mailbox at Sally Mackey's door near lower level C. Here's a, this thing is not documentary. There aren't even any interviews in here. It's not the really spark of documenter that I thought it was. This isn't really the spark of much of anything. It's a 
bunch of recopied stuff. An advice column, a dog thing on the other page. This is nothing. <laughs> this is not very good. There's no documentary in this. You know, early on, when I was talking to my old friend Craig, he said something that I dismissed at the time. I was pretty fixated on the fact that he didn't remember Sally. But then I listened to the conversation again. One of the projects that she suggested to me was to make a magazine for the school. Yeah. She was the first person to tap into yeah. the documentary person in me. So that was my earliest memory of documenting wow. anything. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a, a, a beautiful uh, story that applies to the sequence of events, right? I don't yeah. know if that actually is if that actually works out to be what happened. It might be that she just, she pushed you in that direction on a whim and <laughs> it happens to be the thing that took off for you. Or maybe she, you know, she might've suggested a dozen different things to you, but this is the one that you remember because it's the one that had the greatest impact and unlocked a part of you that uh, is obviously what you were destined to do. Craig, that is not the way that it fits into my narrative. I know, I'm sorry, it's a bad narrative. <laughs> or maybe she suggested the opposite and you said, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a magazine, right? And now you're remembering it as her suggesting it to you. So maybe I inflated the idea of the magazine in my head, the way we do when we want something to be true. I projected a whole lot of meaning onto it, like it was some beacon of my future self proving that I didn't just fall into documentary. It's actually some kind of calling. Don't we all want that? To believe we're in the place we're meant to be. But Sally herself is the real deal. I didn't make up my memories of her. And I think she's a big part of putting me where I am. By creating an environment where expressing yourself was a good idea. She may have Rabbi Stiefel, but I feel like I carry a piece of her with me everywhere. When I saw her on Skype, I wanted to be her all over again, with her Tintin haircut and cackling laugh. And in my own defense, I think Canadiana probably went on to greatness in later issues. I guess my dad really threw those ones out, though. You've been listening to First Day Back. Next episode, I'll be back to my usual story of angst over trying to get this film made while balancing my family life. If you like First Day Back, please review it wherever you listen to podcasts, especially iTunes. That really helps. Like, really. Tori Marlin was associate producer on this episode. Rob McGinley Myers gave me great feedback. He has an amazing podcast you should check out. It's called Anxious Machine. Thanks to Craig Kaplan, John Denora. Renana Shemtub, Sasha Royce, and Sally Kerr-Mackey. Big musical thanks to Poddington Bear and Johnny Ripper again. This would all sound very different without them. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.
Thank you.